Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hey everyone, Kristen Walker here and my guest, thank God, is Tom Dahlberg, the father of Tommy Dahlberg Jr. I had them both on the same day, although you'll, you listeners will be hearing this on different days. But um, I, first I want to say, hey Tom. <laughs> Hi Kristen, so great to connect with you. Yes, and listeners, you, you know him from his incredible um, Upper East Coast accent also. oh my gosh you know it's so funny i was um with my my bride yesterday and i had got a text while i was out and it was from this fellow and he was the one who when i was chairing the world congress on patient engagement Mm -hmm. i thought things were going really well i might share this story with you before Kristen. and he was sitting in the front row and he moused to me what the heck is marketing (laughs) <laughs> marketing exactly exactly <laughs> so, so i've learned every time i'm on stage if i if i go to say the word hot i always touch my chest so people know i'm saying i'm gonna try to say it the way it's supposed to heart um, <laughs> <laughs> see that sounds weird i love, but yeah that's hilarious and i love it because i listen to so many people every day so if i get someone that has even a smidge of an accent it's like a it's a balm for my ears you know <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> so i was just telling you i was like oh thank god tom's on it too which is the time to eastern that we're doing this show because today for whatever reason i had so a show this morning with dr Huber and Ryan McCormick, where we talked about gun control, not my favorite subject, obviously. Mm. Then I had your son, Tommy, on talking about suicide awareness and anxiety and depression. Then I had our new podcaster on, Amy O'Neill, who's a counselor and also a survivor of the Boston Marathon bombing. And then you, and I'm like, man, that's a lot of intense stuff. (laughs) That's exactly the word that came to my mind. That's intense. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That you you still having me on understanding how much intensity you've been involved with throughout the day. You know, I I I don't stop and you know that's interesting. I don't stop and think about that. I used to do these just nonstop and we had this wonderful counselor that um used to come on all the time, Melissa Richards who would say, "Are you a machine?" 
what are you doing? And I always would say, listen, counselors hear these kinds of intense stories all day long as part of their counseling practice. So who am I to make a big deal out of, you know, doing interviews? And she rightfully pointed out, not that what I do is more intense than a counselor in any way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. She just said, yeah, but <laughs> you're doing it on the air. It's heightened. It, she said, it's just it's just different, Kristen. Okay. Can you just kind of acknowledge that? And I was like, okay, well, I'll try to, I'll try to acknowledge that. But I got teared up by the time we got to the Amy O'Neill show and she did too. And I thought, okay, I need to go in the bathroom and just center myself before I get on the next show. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and a good friend of mine's a therapist and she wrote a, a piece not too long ago about dealing with that intensity throughout the day and throughout the, the weeks and so forth and for counselors, for therapists to ensure that they're taking care of themselves um, throughout that process for their own well-being, of course, but also so that they can be 100% present with that person that truly needs them at any particular moment. Absolutely. Present for yourself, present for your patients, present, present for when you go home and you're with your family, I mean, it's, it's intense. Life is intense. Uh, it is definitely sure. is. So we're going to talk about something that I know nothing about, which is fabulous. I can ask all kinds of dumb questions. <laughs> Tom, you tell us what we're going to be talking about. <laughs> so we're going to talk about bringing a best practice from the healthcare sector, the best practice of patient and family advisory councils or PFACs as they're known, when they're done really, really well in healthcare, they can have a dramatic positive impact on patient experience, on safety, on so many different, on clinical outcomes, on so many different aspects of care. So again, if they're done correctly. What we're gonna talk about today though, is taking that PFAC and taking that model, that best practice, and bringing it into youth sports and tweaking it slightly. So instead of patient and family advisory council, it's player and Family Advisory Council. And it's to make and to improve youth sports. Because as you know, Kristen, I'd written a book and we, we've talked about that book and it involves my son, Tommy. And it's about um, adverse childhood experiences. It's about bullying. It's about youth sports. It's about, you know, one data point that children report that 42%, uh, I'll say it differently, 42% of children report being bullied by their coaches and by phys ed teachers. And there's an epidemic within America of youth attempting suicide. And you're nine times, up to nine times more likely to attempt suicide um, if you've been bullied and also have additional adverse childhood uh, experiences. And so what I want to do and what I'm tending to do when I am doing is bringing that PFAC into youth sports to address many of these things that are adversely impacting children. Mm, and I love that. I think that's tremendous. And I think it would be great to talk a little bit about some of the things that have been reported to be an experience for kids in those situations where they feel bullied, where they've been bullied, and how it can be so hidden, even hidden, but also in some ways lauded for being really aggressive as a coach because it has to do with sports. It, it, it's so true, and it's really interesting. I was asked um, just recently to contribute a chapter to a book on bullying that's coming out of the United Kingdom. 
And I wrote my piece of it and I sent it off to this wonderful individual that's pulling it all together. And he has a tremendous story himself. And he kept asking me questions and he kept saying, but what else? What else? And I had to stop him. And I had to say, just to your point, Kristen, that it doesn't have to always be that in your face, um, uh, uh, large, intense uh, bullying that we're all familiar with. Bullying can be incredibly subtle. And so as an example, you know, of course, Tommy's a large part of the, of my book. He had a a baseball coach say to him, I'm not going to cut you from the team, but you're a, a barrier on the base pass. You, and he kept using terms other than you're a big kid because Tommy was a big kid. That's what the book is, The Big Kid in Basketball. He kept using these subtle ways of saying to Tommy, of course, Tommy's hearing the entire time, I'm fat. I'm fat. The coach right. said I'm fat. And, and again, this coach didn't have the integrity to say, you're not good enough, so I'm going to cut you. But rather, he wanted Tommy to cut himself. He wanted right. Tommy to quit. And, and Tommy has more resilience than that. And he said, he came home one day to my bride and I, and he said, dad, mom, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to show up every day Mm -hmm. and I'm going to prove to the coach I am good enough. And I think a lot of that has to do with the resiliency or the resilience he built up since he was four years old, being bullied by adults predominantly for being a big kid. And so it's just really interesting that bullying Again, it doesn't always have to be in your face. It can be done in such subtle ways, and yet those subtle ways are so incredibly damaging to children as well. Oh, absolutely. We had such a great show today, and every time I hear him, I'm like, how did this, I mean, I want to say kid, but he's not a kid. He's a young man now. So how does this young man, how is he so profoundly sensitive and self-aware uh, and the way the way that he talks, well, you know, it's the way you talk. I mean, who calls their wife of over two decades my bride? I mean, you. That's it. <laughs> so, but I'm like, okay, so it's his parents, it's his mother and father. Um, that that's a big part, but it's also because he's been through some serious, serious psychological. Um, abuse at the hands of people who uh, are there to and supposed to not do that to children. Exactly. And from neighbors bullying Tommy to coaches to, to um, well, it, it's interesting. My, my bride and I were talking with Tommy, I think it was last week, maybe a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, a lot of times we focus on the bad or the, the negative. Mm-hmm. And we said, well, let's, let's stop here and let's talk about who were those people in your life that made a difference? Yeah. Helped you to become the person. I mean, every part of our life, good, bad, or otherwise, it informs who we are. But let's talk about the positives. And he, he brought up teachers and counselors and other coaches that really helped him through some really, really challenging times. And so when I'm on stage and I'm talking about bullying by coaches, I also highlight the goodness of many, many coaches and the impact we all can have be as coaches, parents, or others um, on children and that we need to be aware and we need to be aware how powerful our words are, our actions are, and how they impact people at that moment, but also longitudinally. In fact, Chris, now I shared the story the other day uh, um, at a a book reading. It was a a 60-year-old woman 
who had read my book and she reached out and she said, you know, to this day, I don't take risks because I still hear my second grade phys ed teacher telling me over and over and over, you're not good enough. And to this day, so 60 years old, she still hears those words, you're not good enough when she wants to try painting or go right or go, go horseback or whatever it is. And it's to this day holding her back and, and she's seeking counseling and she's getting help. And yet it's still there. It's pervasive. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's the, the power we all have over people. We really need to be mindful of what we say and how we say it. And, and really, um, you know, we need to care about one another. Absolutely. So how's the temperature been around you wanting to do this within the realm of sports, youth sports especially? Well, it's interesting. I was, uh, I've been partnering with a recreation department and they've been setting up all these speaking events and so forth with me and with my, my daughter, Samantha, who you know uh, as well, of course. Um, Samantha handles all my PR and she's coordinating with this rec department and each time, I think there's been three or four specific sessions, each time what I hear from the leader of the rec department is, oh, yeah, the people in the audience, those are the people that already get it. It's the people who don't get it. They're not coming, and we can't force them. And, and so when I think about the temperature, as you just asked, it's, it's yes, the people that want to know more, that want to evolve and get better and better at, at working with children and helping youth and, and improving these, these sports and improving these communities, they're showing up. It's the people that are involved that are adversely impacting in many, many ways that don't understand or choose not to um, uh, have the behaviors that are going to lead to the best outcomes. Those people aren't showing up. And that's one of the reasons, I'm so glad you asked that question, that I want to bring the PFAC into youth sports because it helps in that space as well. So explain how how it would work. So in, in, in healthcare, again, a hospital system, we'll use a hospital system as an example. If they're really doing it well, if they really want to improve safety, clinical outcomes, experience, whatever it might be, one of the key stakeholders is the patient and the family. And often what happens is they they create this PFAC and they bring these patients and families together and they check off the box and say, well, yeah, we brought patients and families together. We fed them a little bit. We got a PFAC. No, that's not how it works. That's counterproductive. But when they do it well and they really engage patients and families and they really engage them around improvement opportunities, they help teach them if they don't already have the background in, say, improvement science or or those or clinical quality or safety, they get that insight from these folks. And so they get that lens of the patient and family, which they can now use this additional wisdom to make things better. Bringing that to youth sports as an example, I hear all the time, oh, we have 20% great coaches, but 80% of the coaches really have some issues. And, and, and it's, it's us against them. It's the parents and the kids against these bad coaches, they'll say it. Or it's these coaches against the parents and kids, and it's, almost, it's, it's, it's adversarial. And yet, if you bring the PFAC into it, and actually the parents and the plays become part of the process for recruiting coaches, now you actually have these people engaged, part of the process, like I said, making, helping to make the decisions as far as who the coaches are. 
Now, even that being said, you still have to go far more than that. You have to have a specific selection process as far as what parents and players are going to be part of the council. Because a lot of times what happens, again, in healthcare is um, doing it wrong. It's I'm going to get the biggest complainers. I'm going to get the people who haven't gone through their own healing process, be it physical, mental, emotional healing process. I'm going to get them to the table because that's what we need to hear. Yes, we do need to hear their challenges, but as far as when you think about improvement, we want the people that have gone through their own healing and now can look beyond their own challenges to how can we make the community better and, and recruit those folks. So you get into behavioral interviewing, peer interviewing. You really want to make sure you develop this advisory council of the, of the um, folks that really can help you get better, who would then be part of interviewing coaches interviewing administrators, interviewing other PFAC members. So it's really a key piece in ensuring that the people that we have working with our youth are absolutely um, vetted by the, the, the youth sport organization right. and as part of that through this PFAC as well. So that's just one piece of this, how we can improve the youth sports space. There, there are a lot of um, people who, and I say this, this is not a blanket statement because obviously, you know, there's uniqueness to, to every coach that's out there. But sometimes people who tend to have a bit of a Napoleon complex, uh, who have been a bully and are an adult bully, kind of gravitate to things like being a coach and it's a way for them to, you know, act out their control and have control over parents and kids and so on. So sometimes they can attract that kind of um, person. And I always wonder, I mean, I, we can understand why that is, but I always wonder what kind of exit interview does someone have who has really crossed the line? They're not who you would want working with children, they've got too many issues of their own. Is that something that you would look at as part of this as well? Let's say somebody slipped through and they really overdid it. Would there also be kind of an exit interview too? This is why we're going to have you take a break or not do this anymore. Absolutely. In fact, a lot of times what you'll find is a youth sports organization, they'll have a, maybe a mission statement or a vision statement. They might even have values awesome to take it to the next level. And the PFAC would be involved with this. You take each one of those and I'll stay with the values for a moment. And it's not just here are my values. My value is fairness. You need to actually um, get into what are the behaviors associated with the specific values we're expecting. We're holding our coaches and everyone who's involved in this youth sport uh, accountable to. And so therefore, if in fact, like you said, maybe as the PFAC is being developed, they already have a group of coaches, great. And they're seeing that some of these coaches are not adhering to these behaviors. You have a scorecard, for lack of a better term, right there. You can say that, okay, coach, you know, we talk about one of our values is fairness. And then this recreation league, as an example, that means that everybody plays. Everybody plays every game unless they're injured. And yet you've sat out Lisa for the last three games. That is absolutely inappropriate. We're holding you accountable for it. And here is the, uh, the uh, remedy or, or that, that we're going to instill. And again, all that would be defined as part of the youth sports league working with the PFAC. So absolutely. 
You need to develop those protocols. You need to set expectations. You need to be clear on what your values and your behaviors are, and you hold everyone accountable for those pieces. Mm. I just like the fact that there's a conscious, you know, perspective about this and, and thinking about, you know, every single person involved from the kids to the parents, to the administrators, to the person who's stepping up to do, to be the coach. There are a lot of, uh, I, I know this from um, my ex-husband who always signed up to, you know, be the coach. And, um, you know, there were just a lot of parents who couldn't take that time or didn't want to. And so there was a piece to it of, look, <laughs> the fact that someone would donate their time to do this is wonderful on its own. And maybe some latitude needs to be given and some care uh, around how we treat them. Um, for whatever it is they may be going in, you know, through in their personal life, uh, because of the mere fact that nobody else showed up to be a coach except for this one, that that takes some, you know, applause all on its own. <laughs> it, it's 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 so interesting. When I was with the National Institute for Children's Health Quality, we actually developed. I engaged with a number of different experts, and we developed the uh, ten steps to bench bullying by coaches. And one of the pieces of that, Kristen, was. Um, as I reached out to these experts, they said, you know, parents need to look for red flags. And one of those red flags that bull that um, bubbled up was when a coach starts to close practices to the parents, meaning parents are not invited to the practices. And so I was talking about this and, uh, and I was presenting to a recreation area and I had some coaches in the area that actually D1, you know, high school D1 sports or highest level D1 sports. And they're like, no, we close practices because the parents are too unruly. You know, the, because the parents' behaviors don't align with us being the best we can be to help their, these kids. And, and I'm like, wait a minute. That's a Band-Aid, that closed practice. We're not really fixing anything here. In fact, we're creating, again, an us versus them or a we versus they mentality. What we need to do is open those practices back up, be clear on what behaviors are of the coaches, of the players, and of the parents, and make sure that we hold everybody accountable. And again, the PFAC will help us do that. And to your specific point about sometimes you just can't find a another coach because it's the only person that shows up, then I would say, then take a hiatus because having a coach there that's going to do incredible harm to that child today that's going to last them a lifetime is far worse than not having one season of soccer or one season of basketball. So people really need to be, get their priority, be clear on what their priorities are and really ensure that they create a model which best positions our children for today and tomorrow. Yeah, and really think about the fact that, you know, if, if the only reason that you are signing up to do this is to make sure that your team wins, take a step back <laughs> because it's a much bigger and such an important role to take on something like that. You will be someone that these kids remember throughout their life as either someone who was fantastic or someone who was pretty deplorable. So if you're there just to make sure that the team wins, take a seat on the bench for a season. Really think about that, you know? 
Absolutely. I, I do a coaching tip. Sammy and I do a coaching tip each, uh, I, again, Sammy's my daughter, um, each week. And my coaching tip for next week is exactly what you're talking about. Don Meyer was a phenomenal coach. I say in the past tense because he's passed away now. And one of his quotes was about purpose. And if your purpose is only winning, and he coached at the D1 level at basketball in college, if your purpose is only winning, it's not good enough. And I agree a thousand percent with that. Yes, we want to win. We want to position people to improve and get better. And you want that outcome. I totally get it. I played sports. And there's so much more that we can do as a community, as coaches, as parents to help children far beyond having seven wins as opposed to six wins. Right. And so just like you said, it's, it's more than that. So if, you, if we're hiring coaches just for wins, especially around youth sports, it's not good enough. Right, exactly. Well, I'm glad that the, you know, the temperature's changing. I wanted to bring this up to you. I had someone, I think it was Johnny Crowder who does the Cope Notes podcast. Um, he posted something. Uh, it was a list of all the states and where they sit when it comes to um, mental health care that's available. And Florida was at the bottom of the list and Maine was at the top of the list. Have you seen that? I haven't specifically seen that, no, but I knew that Maine was at the top of the list. That's fascinating to me because I don't want to live somewhere where I'm going to freeze my ass off all the time. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> but it almost makes me want to move there. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, seeing that in February, I slipped on some black ice on a stair and, and had some microfractures in my hip. <laughs> I agree with you as far as the cold and Maine and so forth. And... Maine does some incredibly positive things yeah. in a lot of different areas, including mental health. And I was blessed for, I think it was six years to um, be part of the Hygieia Foundation, working with psychiatrists, psychologists, and many, many other therapists, in addition to other physicians, primary care, and so forth, and nurse, incredible nurses, um, and could see firsthand the impact of when you have great mental health care practitioners who truly care and don't always default to meds. If you need meds, you get meds, but don't always default to it. Right. It's incredible the impact you can have on uh, patients and families. It's, it's really amazing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I was really shocked when I saw that. I was like, what, you know, why in the coldest place in the United States, which I would, I would dare to say Maine probably is the coldest <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> and then the hottest, most humid, you know, but this is the beach and the sunshine and whatever, Florida, that, that was the worst. That was really, that was really surprising to me. But, you know. I, I, I hear what you're saying. And in every state, there's opportunities to improve health care. Yes. Health care is profoundly broken in America. Mental health care, physical health care. Oh, there's also flames of good within the system. Um Florida, it's not just mental health. It's other areas that need significant improvement, just like most other states. Maine needs some significant improvement in many, many areas. And so it's interesting. I hear and I look at some of these um, uh, uh, score sheets as far as, oh, the best hospitals, da, 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 da. Some are incredible. And yet some that are on these lists also, firsthand knowledge, aren't as good as maybe the numbers tell you they are. Right. And so... I would say we need to invest in every state um, uh, across the board because uh, patients and families are being harmed, as are 
physicians, nurses, and others who work in healthcare. Um, I think you and I have talked about this. The suicide rate for physicians in America mm-hmm. is more than one per day. The the yeah. burnout for physicians and nurses and others, and again, my bride's a nurse, the burnout for these people is unbelievable. The the My wife is... Um, doing nurse triage now and a lot of people a lot of nurses are leaving the quote best hospital in the state to come and do nurse triage work because their words they're burning out they're being treated as um as cogs in a in a factory as opposed to true caregivers that are holding the lives and the 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 mental well-being and the physical well-being of patients and families in their hands every day they're not being treated as such they're being treated as production workers and we need to fix that and that's in every state absolutely yes absolutely and hey why not spearhead something out in youth sports have you heard from other states um you know, in terms of interest about this yet? I've been putting it out there more and more and I'm hearing yes, but yes, but you know, it's all that. It's always that. um, uh, But I'm afraid I have fear. If I get parents involved to this level, is it going to slow things down? Am I not going to be able to get that coach that's going to put us on the map because they're so good at getting the wins. And I'm like, we're talking youth sports now, you know, yes, wins. I get it. And yet, this is the lives of children we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about everyone gets a trophy. I'm talking about how can we best position children to have the optimal life? Mm-hmm. Because there's so much bad out there. And it's great good, too. But there's so much adversely impacting the, our youth in this country. We need those safe places for children to go, to feel safe, to feel cared for. And sometimes they're... they're their um, their family system is not that place. Right. I mean, I coached children that were being abused. I coached children that were getting into drugs because they were neglected. They were they were ignored. They, you know, and those types of things. And I get it. it. We can't say it's this panacea of oh yes, every family is wonderful. No, they're not. And so, but here's an opportunity that we can take those those um, those parents that are loving and caring parents that to help us work with amazing people that want to help youth to make things better. Mm, Bravo. So tell our listeners uh, where they can find out more about this online and also more about you. They can go to TB kid. So just because I talk funny, so it's tbkid.org. And that is the big kid in basketball. There's lots of resources as far as bullying and adverse childhood experiences. And there's also a contact sheet there that you can reach out to me specifically about PFAC or anything else that we've talked about. The specific email is mail.thebigkid at gmail.com. And I think those are the best places to find more about what we're talking about and about me as well. Fantastic. Well, Tom, thank you again for coming on and, um, and for uh, peopling the world with really fantastic children. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly it's my bride and, and, and so forth, but uh, I appreciate that, Kristen. It's always a a pleasure to be on. I love what you do, what you're doing with your network. I mean, I listen in on so many of these podcasts and they're so informative and impactful. And as Sam and I say, it's all about impact. So thank you for all you do every day. Absolutely. And to you and thank you listeners for tuning in. 
and for these long years you've been tuning in, my hat's off to you because listening to me every day like that would be would nauseate me. So I appreciate that uh, for <laughs> all getting close to a decade in a couple of years. So thank you for another episode of Mental Health News Radio. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous, and they're just good people. And also MyGenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, CopeNotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. Sometimes I'm passive aggressive, but never without good intentions. I heat up and act on my emotions. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial.